All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. I uh, I love the share and praise time that we have together because it's such a, a reminder that God is still working. You know, as we're stuck at home and these, uh, it sort of reminds me of what we're doing these days, sort of reminds me of Paul's uh, uh, being stuck in prison or in house arrest. You know, he was he was uh, under guard and, and uh, house arrest, and yet the book of Acts tells us that he was not hindered, that the word of God was not hindered. He wrote several epistles during that time. The book of Philippians says that he, um, because of his imprisonment, many others were emboldened to share the gospel, whereas they wouldn't have been before. So, even though it may seem like we're limited in uh, in our current days, the Lord is not limited. He is fully capable of uh, doing even more amazingly than if we were out and about. That's pretty incredible. Well, we've all had times when um, when God's answered our prayers, and answered prayers are they're such a delight because honestly, they seem to be the exception to our prayers, don't they? Most of our prayers feel like they get kind of stuck in a queue. And then eventually, you know, the Lord gets around to it. It's sort of like our requests that get made uh, to an official or something, you know, or we have to wait in line at the post office and God can only deal with one at a time. Well, the fact is he deals with all at once. And he's even not only dealing with our current prayers, but he's dealing with future events and he is working our current prayers and our current events to somehow make a future that would be greater than, uh, than otherwise. He is amazing. Well, I'd like us to look together at a psalm that gives us a bigger perspective on prayer and on this, this time of just waiting on him and unanswered prayers. And that is Psalm 123. So open, if you would, to Psalm 123. This is another one of those psalms of ascents. A couple of weeks ago, before Easter, we looked at uh, Psalm 123. Two, uh, 121, and talked about uh, uh, the Psalms of Ascents. These are the Psalms or the songs that were sung when the pilgrims, the Hebrew pilgrims, would go up to Jerusalem three times a year for the annual feasts. It was a time of celebration, of coming together, of worship, and it was a time to remember essential themes. And if we look throughout the Psalms of Ascent, you see that the uh, the themes that these psalms represent are themes that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis, and Psalm 123 is no exception because it deals with what in the world do you do with unanswered prayer? Because we all have them. We have unanswered prayers in the queue right now. What do you do with those things? What do you do with unanswered prayer? Well, we, we know the cliche that God changes things with prayer, or that prayer changes things. And uh, we, we've seen answered prayer in our lives a number of times. Maybe it was uh, uh, through like the the prayer that the Campanellas have about the, uh, uh, the wonderful grandchild. Maybe it's uh, a prayer that we had safe travels. Maybe it's a healing from sickness. Maybe it's a financial uh, windfall or provision. Uh, we see the same thing in the scriptures. God answered prayer 
in the Bible, which is not surprising because that's where we see so many answered prayers and get encouragement. But think about a few. We've got uh, Elijah who prayed that it wouldn't rain and then that it would rain, and both times God answered those prayers. We see that Jacob prayed for his wife to have a baby, and she did. We see that Paul uh, requested that the Romans pray that he'd be kept safe. And in the book of Acts, we see that that's exactly what happened. God answered prayer all throughout the scriptures. But also, thankfully, the scripture shows us believers who didn't have their prayers answered. For example, think about the, uh, the Christians that James wrote to in the book of James. They didn't receive answer to their prayers, and James tells them why. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, he prayed that Judah wouldn't have to go into exile, but they did. Uh, we see another case, probably the, the most amazing case, is our Lord Jesus in Gethsemane prayed to the Father a very specific request, and the Father said no, or the results said no, so that we know that the Father's answer was no. And then on the cross, Jesus prayed and got no answer. Even the Lord on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? No answer. So we're not alone when we have unanswered prayers. And thankfully, the scripture not just shows us examples of people who didn't have their prayers answered right away, uh, but but the scriptures also give us insight into what do we do in the meantime. So Psalm 123 gives us some help. It gives us four principles, and we also have a bonus principle. So let's walk down through this wonderful, short psalm. Look at verse 1. It says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. That sort of seems like a pretty simple verse, sort of vanilla. You know, okay, look up. Of course God's enthroned in the heavens. But wait a minute. When we're praying... That is a very helpful thing to remember. In fact, that's the first principle, that we pray to a sovereign God. Pray to a sovereign God. We're not just praying to uh, uh, our sugar daddy up in the, in the heavens. We're not just praying to a genie that we rub the lamp and he gives us what we want. We're praying to a God who is enthroned in the heavens. He is sovereign. He is powerful. In fact, remember when we looked at Psalm 121, it began in a very similar way. It said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So in that psalm, the inspiration of of looking to the hills or looking to something that God created reminded us of God's power in creation. This psalm reminds us of God's sovereignty. He is enthroned in the heavens. So it's a verse of perspective. And I think sometimes the problems that we have with prayer arise out of a wrong understanding of God or a wrong assumption of God. Um, And the better we know about the Lord and His priorities, the better we're going to understand the reason that our prayers get get seemingly unanswered or, or aren't answered right away or the way we want. Sometimes it helps to remember that God has priorities, uh, just like we do. For example, let me give you three priorities that the Lord has, and these are in order. First of all, God desires first and foremost that He receive glory. This is priority one for God. 
that he receive glory. The second is that God desires all people to have a choice about the decisions that they make. So, he wants us to be able to choose. And third, God desires his people to live a reasonably happy life on earth. Now, I said these are in order because often in our prayers, we reverse that order, don't we? Our prayers are first and foremost that we have a reasonably happy life on earth (laughs) and that we have the choice about the decisions that are made. And yeah, if God gets glory, that'd be awesome. But God's priorities are just the opposite. And so sometimes the higher priority is the uh, is what is the direction God goes. For example, in our lives, we've got priorities as well. And we have things that are our will, but on different levels. For example, it is my will to be faithful to my wife all my life. That is that's my will. That is a priority. It's also my will. It's also my desire to take a nap today. Now, both are my will. Both are very much my will. But you know, if one doesn't happen, that's okay. If the other doesn't happen, that is not okay. So both are my will, but different priorities. The Lord is the same, and the Lord dealing with our prayers is the same. He is enthroned in the heavens. He is sovereign. And so our prayers are filtered through His glory our decisions, and, uh, and ultimately our happiness as well. So God's glory, that's important. Look at verse 2. There's more here the psalm teaches us. It says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. There's comparison that's being made here. Uh, servants to the master, the maid to her mistress. There is a, a question then you could ask, well, how does a servant look to the hand of the master or the maid to the, to the hand of the mistress? Expectantly. Because they're looking with an expectation of a couple of things. The first, the servant or the maid is looking for, is an alert expectation to find out what their master or their maid wants them to do. That's the reason they're looking. What, what do you want me to do? There's an expectation of the, of the servant looking to the master for that. And there's also one of dependence. There's an expectation also of provision. But here's the second principle. Not only do we pray to a God who is sovereign, but secondly, we pray with great expectation. We are praying with great expectation. Because our sovereign, powerful God has made promises to us, and we pray with great expectation. Just like a servant looks to the hand of the master or a maid to the mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Just jot down uh, Hebrews 4.16, and let me read this text to you. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We who trust Jesus Christ today can pray with the same expectation that God will answer. 
that we are entering the throne of grace with, with the expectation and the confidence, the text tells us, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, it may sound obvious, it may sound even cruel, but God has no obligation. He has not obligated himself to answer the prayers of unbelievers. Uh, he is committed to answering the prayers of believers, but not of unbelievers. And there's a whole string of verses in the, in the Bible that, that supports this. Psalm 34 talks about it. Proverbs 15 talks about it. John chapter 9 talks about it. 1 Peter 3 talks about it. He may answer, but he hasn't obligated himself to answer. The only prayer that God is obligated to answer for an unbeliever is the prayer of faith, trusting in Jesus Christ uh, who died for, for him or her on the cross. So, that's the only, the only prayer that the Lord's obligated to answer an unbeliever. But for us who have believed in Jesus Christ, we can draw near with confidence because we know that God hears us, and if we, He hears us, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. So, the text not only teaches us to pray with great expectation, but the same verse, look at the end of verse 2, gives us another insight. Our eyes look to the Lord our God until He is gracious to us. Two things to note here on the, the what I was mentioning previously as far as the relationship. Notice the Lord our God. There is a relationship there. It's not just the Lord God, but the Lord our God. We expect because we have a relationship with Him that He'll answer. And we pray, notice, until He is gracious to us. So, the third principle is to pray with great persistence. Not only with great expectation, but with great persistence. Now, you're in Psalm 123. Keep your finger there and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. Just look there real quickly. Um, You remember that story in the book of Genesis where Jacob is wrestling with the angel the angel of God, uh, which probably was the Lord. Um, Jacob is wrestling with the Lord. Jacob uh, was wrestling with God, and, and, and the metaphor there is almost one of prayer, because as Jacob's talking to the Lord, Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's such a model of prayer, even from old rascally Jacob. I won't let you go until you bless me. Pray with great persistence. Luke 18, right in the very first verse, look at this parable Jesus tells. And this is one of those rare parables that Jesus, or that Luke, tells us why Jesus was telling the parable. So, we know right up front what the lesson is. But here's the lesson in verse 1. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So, just pause for a second and ponder that. That's the principle. We should pray at all times and not lose heart. Why is that added on the end? Because we lose heart. (laughs) When we pray and our request isn't answered immediately, we can lose heart. And so Jesus tells this parable that we might pray persistently. Let's keep reading. It says, In a certain city there was a judge who didn't fear God and didn't respect man. 
There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God and respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, otherwise by continually coming she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will God not bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Luke tells us, before this parable even gets started, that the, that the purpose of it is that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then in the parable, here's how Jesus phrases that principle. He says, Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? There is a persistent prayer to God like this widow that keeps bothering this unrighteous judge. When we pray with great persistence, like Jesus shows us here, like he illustrates, we demonstrate faith that what we're praying for could in fact be God's will, just not God's timing. And that's so important because we see that principle all throughout the scriptures and we've seen it all throughout our lives when we look back in uh, retrospect. So, turn back to Psalm 123 and let's uh, continue there. In my Bible reading, annual Bible reading, I try to read through the Bible every year, and I just finished John. And I was really struck this time through, John, how often Jesus said, my time has not yet come. People would come to him and say, uh, hey, do this. Like when Mary came to him and said, you know, they've run out of wine, hint, hint, son, I'd like you to do me a favor and, and uh, help, help uh, save face here. Jesus says, my time has not yet come. When his brothers, I noticed it was always his family, when his brothers uh, told him, hey, why are you, why are you up here in, in backwoods Galilee? Go down to Jerusalem if you want to be famous. Jesus said, my time has not yet come. He said, for you, any time is good. Any time is opportune. But my time has not yet come. And then finally, in John 17, Jesus opens that great prayer to the Father by saying, Father, the hour has come. So finally it had come. But see, Jesus was able to understand that even though something was coming and something that he wanted to come was coming, that it hadn't come yet, that the time had not yet come. And often that's where we are in our prayers. So when we pray, we are to pray persistently. Again, our eyes look to the Lord in Psalm 123, verse 2. Our eyes look to the Lord until he shall be gracious to us. The expectation is that he'll be gracious to us. So we pray until he is gracious to us. Look at verse 3, and let's continue. Then the, here's the prayer. Be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Notice in verse 3 those repeated words, Be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious to us. That's the prayer. And it is a wonderful prayer of priority. Here's the fourth principle that this text shows us today, and that's to pray for mercy and with a humble heart. Pray for mercy 
and with a humble heart. Uh, Be gracious to us, Lord. It has the idea of, Lord, have mercy on us. Remember the... uh, the conversation as Jesus was on his way up to Jerusalem for the final time, they had just passed through, he and his disciples had just passed through Jericho, and they were actually, the, Jericho had two cities, an Old Testament and New Testament, and they were right in between when Jesus ran across Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus had a, a, a request of Jesus that was completely different from the request that, that James and John had of Jesus. You remember this story? James and John said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. Amazing request. And Jesus says, Well, what do you want me to do for you? They say, We want glory. Let us sit one at your right, one at your left. And then Jesus dealt with that request. And then in the same context, it says that Bartimaeus uh, came up and Jesus asked him the exact same question, What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus had cried out, Uh, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. The Gospel of Mark wants us to see that contrast. And it's the same sort of contrast that Psalm 123 is showing us here. In that, or I should say, the same sort of priority. Bartimaeus was the hero in that uh, context in Mark. Amazingly, this blind man saw more than the disciples who had been with Jesus several years. They saw Jesus as their ticket to glory. Bartimaeus saw Jesus as as the one who could provide mercy. And so the Psalm 123 gives us that same reminder that we are to pray for mercy. Because honestly, that's our greatest need before the Lord. We've got all these other needs that uh, that are way ahead of our idea of uh, our top priority, and that's mercy. But this psalm reminds us that's what we need. That's what we need from God is mercy, first and foremost. And so that, re- that also requires a humble heart. You can't pray for mercy with pride and arrogance or presumption. Now, notice the, um, the text here says that, they're, that this individual is praying, be gracious because or for we are greatly filled with contempt. So they're in a context of trial, and this particular trial is the unbelievers around them are, uh, are scoffing or mocking, you might translate it that way. Um, and those who are proud are, are filling them with contempt. So they're in a, a context of struggle, and so the prayer is, God have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We are looking to the Lord to be gracious to us until He is gracious to us. Now, this is a, a little aside. This, this psalm isn't teaching this, but I think it's a helpful uh, principle or, or truth to insert here in our whole context of talking about God dealing with unanswered prayers. And that is, not only does God uh, does not answer the prayer of the unbeliever, but also willfully in our lives, when we are walking willfully outside of fellowship with God, or if we are willfully in sin, um, that hinders our prayers as well. I want to read several verses to you, and you can just jot down the references. You won't be able to get there fast enough if when I read the reference, but just listen. First of all, to Psalm 66, verse 18. It says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Psalm 66, 18. 
If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Micah 3 verse 4 says, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. Micah 3 verse 4. And 1 Peter 3 verse 7. This one really is a tough, tough verse. 1 Peter 3 7 says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. And then finally, 1 John 3 verse 21 says this, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Each of these verses has has a context of believers. And so, in our prayers, if we're wondering, Lord, why aren't you answering my prayers? It's, It's a legitimate question anyway. To say, is there something that I'm that I'm not confessing? Is there a willful sin in my life that I'm clinging to? Is there sort of a pet sin that I continually to go to instead of to the Lord? Um, I don't think we need to immediately run there and and assume that if God's not answering our prayers, well, it's because I'm in sin or there's something wrong with me. Not always. I mean, remember Jesus got knows to his some of his prayers as well, but. This is a helpful principle to think about, that, um, that if we regard wickedness in our heart, it affects God answering our prayer, if, if we're willfully disobedient. But Psalm 123, thankfully, this is not the case for the psalmist, and often it's not the case for us. We're scratching our heads sort of like Job. Job hadn't done anything wrong, and yet he, he was struggling. And his question was, a, was a, a case of, Lord, why am I dealing with all this because I've not done anything wrong? Jesus is our model for prayer. I've mentioned Gethsemane a couple of times, but it's not just that in Gethsemane Jesus didn't get his prayer answered. Remember how Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Here's my request, Father, but not my will, but what? But yours be done. What a great way to pray. Lord, as I see it, this is what makes sense. This is how it makes sense to me. But, Lord, you're enthroned in the heavens. You're sovereign. You see far beyond my immediate concern to the next century and how this might affect something that goes far beyond my little life. So, if what I'm praying is not your will, your will be done. This is how we pray. And also, when something hard happens in our lives, this is how we react. Even on the cross, when Jesus was, uh, uh, had, had asked the Father, uh, why have you forsaken me? And there was a great big silence. Even then, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There was still an absolute trust in the Father, even though, in a sense, Jesus felt emotionally that the Father had forsaken him. And when we feel the same way, we have to have that bottom line sense of faith and assurance in our heart that God's not forsaken us. God has not abandoned us. He has promised that he will never do that. So if what we are experiencing and somehow makes us feel like he has abandoned us, 
then we know there's something else going on. There's something higher going on than what our minds can understand. So here's the the bonus principle. I mentioned there were four principles and then a bonus. Here's the bonus. We pray knowing God may want to give us more than what we're asking for. We pray knowing that God may want to give us more than what we're asking for. One more time, I'll ask you to turn to uh, the New Testament, and you can leave Psalm 123. Just turn to Ephesians 3, and as you make your way to Ephesians 3, I want to read to you an entry from the journal of a man named George Mueller. You've probably heard of Mueller. He was an incredibly uh, amazing man. Back in the 1800s, he had a passion uh, to start an orphanage, and he did, and he did it based on prayer. He refused to ask for donations. He just went to God with the needs. And that sounds real spiritual, and it is real spiritual, but uh, I'm not sure it's entirely biblical to do that. I think it's okay to ask for donations or help. The Apostle Paul did it. But Mueller chose to do it in a way that would give God glory completely, and as he saw it. And that was, I'm not going to ever mention my needs to anybody else but the Lord. And, uh, and they struggled. They struggled. Listen to what George wrote in his, uh, in his uh, journal. He writes this, Listen, uh, the funds are exhausted, he said. We have been reduced so low as to the point of selling those things which could be spared. Then a woman arrived who had been traveling for days, bringing with her sufficient funds for the orphanage. And then, it, then after that, uh, the, the book that this was in basically went on and said that Mueller and his co-workers had prayed for those particular four days for, for God to do something that he had already answered. There was a woman who had been traveling for four days who brought the answer to the prayer that they'd been praying for four days. Mueller had this to say about that. He wrote that the money had been so near the orphan house for several days without being given is plain proof that it was from the beginning in the heart of God to help us. But because he delights in the prayers of his children, he had allowed us to pray so long also to try our faith and to make the answer so much sweeter. So again, the principle is that we pray knowing that God may want to give us far more than we're asking for. Ephesians 3, look down at verse 20. Familiar verse, but think of it in this wonderful context of prayer. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God may want to give us more than we're, than we're asking for. So a delay may be one of the best things that can happen to us. Because like with Mueller, it gave Mueller a perspective of God that he wouldn't have had otherwise if, uh, if his prayer had just been answered right away. Part of what God wants to give us in answered prayer is a perspective that's bigger than simply the answer to our prayer. Um, Let me refer to Jacob one more time. I love 
I just love Jacob's story because uh, this little rascal is so often like us and how he dealt with the Lord. But remember when Jacob lost his son Joseph, uh, his brothers, Jacob's sons, sold Joseph to slavery, and everything was going wrong for Jacob. Now, his sons are one by one beginning to disappear, and now a famine has come, and now they've got to go back once again, and he's got to give up beloved Benjamin, his precious other son. And Jacob makes the statement, he says, all these things are against me. I love that statement. That is how Jacob felt. And yet it wasn't but just a short time later that Jacob was looking into the eyes of Joseph and told Joseph, I never thought I'd see you again, and here I am seeing your sons. That's how God works. He is able to do far above more than we can even ask or think than we can ask or imagine. So, in summary, the principles we've seen through Psalm 123 and these other verses, once again, we pray to a sovereign God. We pray with great expectation. We pray with great persistence. We pray for mercy with a humble heart. And then finally, we pray knowing that God may want to give us more than we're even asking for. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of what's so easy to take for granted, that you are sovereign, that your ways are higher than our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways. And you have a plan that has stretched for thousands of years, and you have a plan that has, uh, even before the foundation of the earth, And it is a plan that you have given us the great privilege of being part of. And part of that privilege is trusting you in those times when it feels like you are not answering our prayers. Remind us, Lord, help us remember that we pray to a sovereign God. Help us to pray with great expectation, with great persistence, with great humility, and with the faith that realizes that what we're praying for, you may want to give us an answer that is far greater than the simple Uh, yes-no answers to our simple requests. Thank you, Father, for this reminder of what a great God you are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.